You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, remain standing, but take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to get right into it tonight. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach. I, I don't want to take it for granted. And it is a, a very um, a, a strong um, desire that I have to, to um, be a good steward of, of the time that I have and the opportunities they have to preach. And so I'm, I, I don't take it lightly uh, that I get to preach tonight. So Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to read a few verses. We begin reading in verse 14. Matthew five fourteen. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is an encouraging verse. To me, this is an exciting verse. This is one of my favorite verses on, on missions, and in fact, it's going to be our, our theme verse for Missions Revival, which is four weeks away. It's crazy to think that one month from tonight, we have Missions Revival. Um, but th- this is where our theme for Missions Revival comes, and it's going to be a light in the darkness. Now, after the church planning conference, you know, how, how could you not want to be a light in the darkness? You know, it's, it, it's so encouraging, and, and, um, and it honestly drives, drives me to want to be a light in the darkness when I see the people and the men, the families that have given their lives to be a light. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for it. And, and how, how can you not want to be a light in the darkness when you look at the news, when you see the world around us, and the, the dark, dark world around us? We need to be lights. We need to be a light in this dark world. No, I, I, I totally agree that we, we have to be lights. We have to be a light in the world. But I also think that sometimes we can have a misconception about what it takes to be a light in the darkness. And that's what I want to address tonight, is how, how we can be lights in a dark world. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for tonight. I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be in your house, to be around your people, uh, to receive the encouragement from them, but also from the singing and, and just to have the opportunity to, to give you praise, to give you glory uh, for the things that you've done in our lives. I'm thankful for it. And I pray you help us not to take those times lightly, but I pray you help us not to take this time lightly either. I pray you'll just speak to our hearts. I pray you'll uh, use me to communicate truth and speak through me, speak uh, in, in spite of me. And I pray you just uh, speak to hearts as you've spoken to mine. And I pray you just uh, give us a good night in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you've known me for any length of time or spent any time around me, you would know that I love sports. A lot of my illustrations for messages come from sports. I, I, I love to watch sports. I love to, love to play sports. I just love sports. Um, I, I love just about any sport it is, unless it's NASCAR, which is not much of a sport. I know some may disagree, but we, we've, we've gone on. Uh, I, I've, I've been stuck here at the church for... 30, 45 minutes discussing NASCAR and how it's not a sport. But anyways, I love all sports except NASCAR. And I'll play just about any sport except NASCAR, um, if, if you can play that sport. 
But let, let's say tomorrow I go out and I decide to buy a Dallas Cowboys jersey. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I don't, don't blame me for that. I'd come buy it honestly. But I go and buy a Dallas Cowboys uh, jersey, and I put Hardy on the back. I buy cleats. I buy socks. I buy pants, the pads, the, the, the mouth guard, the helmet. I get the works. I get everything that you would need to be a Dallas Cowboys football player. I go, I, I buy the Duke, the official football for the NFL, and I go to Jerry World, where the Dallas Cowboys play football, and I kick a 15-yard field goal. I, I'd be pretty impressed with myself. 15 yards, it's not bad. Um, I, I'm an NFL kicker, right? You know, I, I looked the part. I just kicked a 15-yard field goal. I'm an NFL, I'm, I'm an NFL kicker. I, that, that's, that's who I am. Well, no, it, not, it, I'm not an NFL kicker and an, an NFL player just because I have a Dallas Cowboys helmet or a jersey or I just kicked a field goal. There, there's so much more to being an NFL player, a professional football player, than dressing the part, putting on cleats, pads, and going and knocking someone out. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot m- more to being a, a player than that. You've got to play football in college, go through years and years of training. You, you've got to be athletic and fit, which I am not, so that automatically disqualifies me. But you've got to go through a certain process. You've got to go through a, a, a certain process to be an NFL player. You don't just decide one day, all right, I'm an NFL player. I got the jersey. I, I can kick a field goal. Let's go. Let's do this. But in the same way, a lot of times we treat um, our, our life as Christians like that as well. We, we can say, okay, I'm saved, so I'm a light. I'm a light in this dark world because I'm saved. Or I'm a light because I went on outreach this week. I passed out a track. I dressed apart. You know, it, it's easy to think that way. But there's actually a lot more that goes into being a light than just dressing the part or passing out a track. And that's what Jesus is dealing with in our text. He's trying to teach the disciples how they can be a light in the dark world. How they can be a light in the darkness. And he starts from the ground up. So so here in our text, Jesus uh, had basically just started his earthly ministry. He he just called out the disciples. They they had decided to follow him, to learn everything they could from him. This is the the first group of people that's following Jesus Christ. But then we find a second group of people here in chapter 4. So look at chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, Matthew 4, 23. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, those that were possessed with devils, and those, that, those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. So here are all these people. They, they've come to Jesus, and they have all kinds of physical needs. They, they have diseases, they have uh, devils, uh, anything you can imagine, they, they probably have that need. All kinds of physical needs. And Jesus heals them. He, he heals them of, the, of these diseases, these physical needs. And he gained a, a great following from, from those things. But 
that's all, that's all it was. All these people were, were just people that, that, had, that had gained physical benefit from, from God, from Jesus, and had started following him because of it. There, there's a very, very stark contrast between the disciples and the multitude. The multitude was in it for what they could get physically from Jesus. And the disciples were in it to be like Jesus, to, to, be, to be something. They weren't just in it for, for things. They're in it to be like Jesus. So the first thing, because we're, 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 working, we're working from the bottom up. Being a light requires that you're going to be a committed disciple. You have to be in it for more than just the physical blessings from God. Many times we can be like the multitudes. We, we can just follow Christ because of the physical blessings, the, the, the benefits that we get from him. And I, I'm thankful for all those things. I'm thankful for the blessings that, that come with being saved, being a child of God. And we should be thankful for those. But we ought to be very careful that that doesn't become our motivation for following God, for, for being a disciple. We ought to instead be, be committed disciples of Jesus Christ and not, and not just following him for, for the, the blessings that we receive from him. So before we can be salt, before we can be light to our communities, we must first be committed disciples, not selfish consumers, not, not acting like the multitudes. So this is the first, the first point that, that Jesus makes. You, you, you've got to be serious. You've got to be serious about discipleship. Um, but Jesus doesn't just leave the disciples to, to figure out how to be like him to figure out how to be committed disciples all on their own. He, he teaches them what a disciple really looks like, what, what a disciple does. He teaches, them, uh, he teaches them what a disciple is supposed to, to be, not just what they're supposed to do. He, and this, this, is, this is where we get the, the next part of our text from, and what we would call the Beatitudes. And remember, this, this is all a process from, from being a... Um, being, this is all part of a process of being a light in the darkness. If I can get my words out tonight, I'm struggling. Not sure why. But being, being a light requires that you live a beatitude life. The, the, the first few verses of Matthew chapter 5 are what we call the beatitudes. Each of these beatitudes are our qualities that Jesus Christ wants us to apply to our lives so that we can be disciples, committed disciples, so that we can be like Christ. You'll notice that the Christ isn't teaching the disciples to do specific things or, or to dress a certain way. He's teaching them to be like himself, to be like Christ on the inside. He's teaching them to be, not to do. Now, there, there were already enough people, the Pharisees, who were busy about doing things on the outside. And then none of it was matching on the inside. There, there, there are enough people... Who, who can do and say all the right things, but be, be all wrong on the inside. You didn't need any more of those. You need more disciples. You know, I, I'd love to get to, to all, all of these, all the Beatitudes and, and apply them uh, in depth, and we could. But I, I'm just going to focus on a few and then just mention the rest. So I'm, I'm going to go through, and it may seem like I'm going through fast or, or we don't have as much detail um, but we would be here for a very, very long time if, if we went in depth on all of these. But so the first one, the first beatitude comes from from verse three. So look, look at it. It says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." You know, Jesus Jesus has just brought the disciples out from the multitude, and he is teaching them again. He's teaching them what it means to be a disciple, 
what it means to be like Christ. And this is the first beatitude. He says that you've got to be poor in spirit because the proud cannot be the disciples of Christ. No, poor in spirit, it doesn't mean someone who appears defeated outwardly, who, who has pitifully low self-esteem, who always speaks of what, what they can't do or, or, or they're, they're not this, they're not that. They're just shy and quiet. That's not what poor in spirit's talking about. To be poor in spirit is the opposite of pride. No, pride says, I, I can do anything. I can do it all myself. I, I can do anything I set my mind to. I've got this. It's self-sufficiency. It's selfish. But poor in spirit, again, is the opposite. It's an inward sense of helplessness, an inability, a genuine sense of dependability on on someone, and specifically on God. Poor in spirit says, I can't do this by myself. I don't have this. So many times we we try to do this whole Christian life thing on our own. We we try to decide what we're going to do. We we, we try to, to do to do and say all the right things. We try to be the right person all by ourselves, and we fail miserably. Yeah. I, I, I have failed miserably. We try to follow our own path, our own way, but that pride always, always leads to a fall, always leads to destruction. I've been there way too many times, trying to do, trying to do the Christian life, trying to be who I'm supposed to be all by myself. It's just pride. But in, instead of that, we need to recognize, like John 15, 5 puts Without me, ye can do nothing. Without Jesus Christ, we are nothing. In our, in our spirit before God, we, we must have this attitude that I can't. I can't do this. You can't approach God with the spirit of, of self-sufficiency, of, of doing, doing it on our own, and expect to walk away being a disciple. It just doesn't work like that. As disciples, as children of God, we ought to live in dependence on God because without him, we're nothing. That's what being poor in spirit is. A strong reliance, dependability on God, knowing we can't do it ourselves. That, so that's poor in spirit. Look, look at verse 4. Here's the next one. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. To be a disciple of Christ, to be a committed disciple of Christ, then we have to deal with and mourn over our sin, not just ignore it. You know, a pastor dealt with this very, very well a, a few weeks ago. Um, but what this has to do, is, do with is our relation, our attitude towards sin. You know, many times when we sin, we, we just want, we want to shift the blame. We, we want to deny it. We want to ignore it. Act like it never happened. That's what the flesh wants. But God wants us to deal with it differently. Now, sometimes we can be sorry for our sin, meaning we, we're, we're sorry for the bad situation we're in. We're sorry for the, for the consequences. We, we don't want to deal with the consequences. But none of these things are, are truly mourning over our sin. Well, being forgiven and being comforted, as this verse talks about, from our sin can only come when we've properly and, and truly mourned for our sin. When you have truly been broken over your sin. You, you, you have to first see that our sin separates us from God. It's not just lost people. It's not, not just the unsaved that, that are separated from God because of sin. Our, our sin as Christians puts a barrier between us and God, puts a, puts a roadblock in our relationship to God and our growth in our relationship to God. You know, the God who has given you everything that you have, who has saved you from, from paying the, the penalty of your sin, that's the God who you've offended. 
who you've sinned against. It's not just another person. It's not just yourself. You sinned against God. You, you can never have a blessed life, a right walk with the Lord, a, a good relationship with the Lord until you've dealt with your sin, until you've been broken over your sin. The pastor put it really well. He said, God doesn't want our busyness without our brokenness. You, you, can't, you can't keep doing and doing these things as a, as a Christian without first dealing with your sin. You, you can't get busy with the things of the Lord until you get broken about your sin. So that, that's the second, the second beatitude, is, is mourning over our sin. So we, we, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to mourn over our sin, be broken over our sin. And the third one comes from verse 5. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Being meek is more important than, than having all the power and, and running over anyone who stands in your way. Meekness, meekness is not weakness. It, it doesn't mean that, mean that, that you are weak or, or spineless. You have no power. No, it, it means that it, it, being meek is someone who chooses to submit their power, submit themselves to another, not use their power, their, their ability for selfish gain. And Jesus Christ is our, our best example of this. He's the, he is the best example of being meek. When he was beaten, when he was broken, he was spit upon, humiliated, crucified, all the things that he went through. If anyone could have fought back, could, could, have, could have said a, 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 some, some word to get, to get back at somebody, if, he, if anyone could have gotten revenge, it was Jesus, and, and rightfully so. But instead, he surrendered his will and power to God. He surrendered his, his will for his life to what God wanted for his life. And we ought to do the same. Submit our power, our will to God for him to decide how we use it. That's meekness. It, it's, it's, not, it's not biting back at someone when they hurt you. It's not, it, it's not just getting even or, or getting revenge. No, it, it's, it's giving it to God and letting him take care of it. Submitting our will to God. That's being meek. It's not weakness. The fourth one comes from verse 6. It says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now think about it. You, you are a, a, a spiritual being. Your, your spirit is, is alive to God. When, when you were saved, then, then your spirit became a, alive to God. And, and your soul, your spirit, you, you've got to have spiritual food. You've got to have spiritual food and water to progress, to, to be healthy, to grow. It's just like your real body. If you want to be healthy, if you want to live, then you must eat food and drink water. If you don't, you're going to die. That's just how it works. Some, some may say, well, I, just, I don't have an appetite to, to read my Bible, to memorize scripture, to go to church, to witness, to pray, to win souls, to live a holy life, to seek God's will. I just don't have that appetite. If you don't have an appetite for, for spiritual things, for, for spirit, the, the, the spiritual exercises, for spiritual food, that's a red flag. That's a major, major warning sign. And you, you've, got, you've got to seek the Lord about that because that, that's a major, major red flag. Something is wrong in your relationship with the Lord. You know, if, if someone says that they don't have an appetite to eat, they haven't eaten in days, there's something wrong in your body, and it's got to be addressed, or you're going to die. And it's, it's, the, same, it's the same in our spiritual life. If, if there's no appetite for, for spiritual food, then something's wrong 
And, and your relationship with the Lord is going to be seriously, seriously hurt if you don't address it. So we, we, ought, we ought to be hungry for spiritual food. There, there's, no, there's no beating around the bush. If, if sin, if the love of pleasure, the world, the love of yourself dominate your life and you're not hungry for spiritual things and you're very sick, you've got, got to address it. If you're going to be a committed disciple of Christ and eventual light to the world, if you want to be a light to a world, then you must eat and drink spiritual food. There should be a desire and appetite for it. Coming to church once, twice, three times a week, whatever it is, that's not enough. Getting fed at church planners conference, that, that's not enough. It's like if you were to eat at Thanksgiving and say, all right, I'm good for next year. I don't have to eat anymore. If you're me, I'm, I'm typically hungry the, the next meal. Like I, I, eat, I eat Thanksgiving lunch and I'm ready for Thanksgiving supper. No, you, you, you can't just eat, eat one time at Thanksgiving and be good until the next year. You, you can't eat one time at Mission Revival and expect to be good. You can't even expect to eat one time Sunday morning and then be good until the next Sunday morning. That's not how it works. Your body wouldn't live that way, and your, your spiritual body can't live that way. You know, you've got to have spiritual food, the spiritual food of reading your Bible, meditating and memorizing Scripture, praying and seeking the Lord's will every day in order for you to be healthy. You must have an appetite for spiritual food in order, in order to be a light in the darkness. You, you've, you've got to feed that, that appetite to be a light. The next beatitude comes from, from verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We, we ought to show mercy and forgiveness because we've been forgiven ourselves. You know, this, seems like, this seems like it should be easy for us to do. It seems like this should be one of the easiest ones to apply to our lives. But many times, it can be the hardest one for us to take care of. Many of us, many of you, have been hurt by others. You've been wronged. You've been lied to. Talked about behind your back. And you just hold on to it. You don't forgive. You try to get back. You become bitter. We don't, we don't give them mercy because they don't deserve it. They wronged us. They don't deserve it. There's no way they could ever deserve it. We forget that we've done all that and so much more to Jesus Christ, the person who, who created us, the one who God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to give us mercy. The, the, the same person who we sin against is extending mercy to us, has extended mercy to us. That's incredible. There, there's no way we could ever deserve that mercy or that grace from God. So we ought, to, we ought to give grace and mercy to the people who've wronged us because it's nothing, nothing compared to the grace and the mercy that God has given us. We ought to show mercy. If, if, if you're going to be a light, you, you have to show mercy when you've been wronged because we've been given mercy. It, it, it's simple. It, it's hard. It, it's hard, but it is simple. Verse 8 come, comes the next beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You must be pure in heart, not serving God with half your heart and the world with the other half. Having a pure heart means that, that, that it's single, has one focus. It isn't split, trying, trying to please two different sides, the spirit and the flesh. An impure heart is one that, that tries to, to please self and then add God into the mix later. 
or, or, or one who, who tries to make decisions for itself, then figures out where God fits in afterwards. No, that's, that's an impure heart. Is, is your heart pure or, or is, it, is it mixed? Is it primary to you that, that you love God with your whole heart? Is serving God and, and pleasing him with your life, obeying him, is that the purpose of your life? Or is it just fitting him in wherever, wherever you can? Or does your heart kind of look like vegetable soup? I hate vegetable soup. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm not a huge vegetable guy. Not a fan. You know, it's whatever you have left over, you kind of just put it in a soup, and there you go. Not a fan at all. But that's, you know, that's, that's kind of how, how we treat our life sometimes. And, I, and I, I'd imagine God views it the same way. He wants us to have a heart to serve him and nothing else. He, he wants us to serve him, to, to buy into his will for our, for our life, not our own. We, we can't serve self and God at the same time. We've got to have a pure heart, a single heart, to honor the Lord, to, to honor the Lord, give him glory with our lives. That, that's a huge one. If we're going to be light, we have to have a pure heart for the Lord. Well, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Being a peacemaker is being involved in the process of bringing saved and unsaved people back into peace with God. We're called to be ambassadors, peacemakers for God. Many times, instead of being peacemakers, we, we try to, um, we, we become gossipers. We, we know that someone in the church is in sin or, or is at fault, doing something wrong. And, and instead of, of confronting them in a, in a godly, loving way, Many times we, we just look down on them. We gossip about them instead of helping them to be at peace with the Lord, to get back into a relationship with the Lord. Many times we become so self-focused, so self-centered that we lose sight. That there, there are thousands, thousands and thousands of boys and girls, men and women, who are at odds with God right now, who are going to die and spend eternity in hell unless we, are, unless we be the peacemaker to show them how they can have peace with God. There are thousands in Sioux Falls that are going to die and go to hell because we are focused on ourselves, because we are not the ambassadors that we should be for Christ. We ought to be peacemakers. And then the last one, look at, look at verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We've got to learn to, to suffer persecution with joy and with gladness, because it's, it's more important that you don't compromise the truth just to maintain a, a comfortable status. When we're faced with persecution, when, when someone treats you differently because you're a Christian, when you're teased because, you, because of how you dress, how you talk, or, or when your boss treats you differently because you, you ask off for a men's retreat, or you can't work on Wednesday nights. But when, those, when hard times come, when, when people look down on you, and, and persecution is going to come, it's, it's only getting worse. You know, it's absolutely essential that we do not compromise on what we believe or try to water down the truth and, and water down God's word. We, we ought to be able to live an uncomfortable life 
in the world's eyes so that God's word is not watered down or compromised. It's absolutely essential. If we're going to be light to the world, then we can't be like the world. We've got, we've got to be different. You can't compromise on truth. So I, I know that's, that there, there's a lot there to, to comprehend. And, and I, it's not as specific as, um, as I normally like to be. Um, but but if, if there's something in there that, that the Lord has, has spoken to you about, then we've got to make a decision on it. Because it is absolutely essential that we live a beatitude life. Because the result of living a beatitude life, the result of being a committed disciple, is verses 13 through 16. I'll read it. So after Jesus, after Jesus has just presented all these things and, and taught the disciples these things, this is what he says. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The result of living a beatitude life, a life of a committed disciple, is that you are salt and light to the world. When we truly seek to live the Beatitudes, a Beatitude life, when you truly seek to be a committed disciple of Christ, that's when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are a light to the world, a light in the darkness. You, you, you can say, okay, well, Brother Samuel, it's, it, it's way easier said than done. And I totally agree with you. The life of being a committed disciple, applying the Beatitudes to our life, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But we can take hope in this, that, that the disciples, the, the, one who, the ones who Jesus Christ was, was teaching this to, they weren't perfect either. They, they were humans, just like us. You know, just look at Peter. Look at the life of Peter. He failed many, many times. He fell many times. He even denied Christ. But every time he failed, he, he always came back to the Lord. He started trying to live the beatitude life again. God obviously uses imperfect people. God obviously used imperfect people in these disciples, the ones that he had just taught this. Because well, we wouldn't be here if he didn't. Eastside Baptist Church would not exist if God didn't use imperfect people. The disciples were obviously lights to their dark world. That's why we're here. But you know what it took? It took a group of disciples, imperfect people, Deciding to live out the Beatitudes, to apply them to their lives, to being committed to be a real disciple of Christ. That's what it took. If we had a whole church of committed disciples, of people seeking to live a Beatitude life, we would be like the city that, that, that's talked about here. It's set on a hill. Our, our, our light couldn't be hid from the community. It couldn't be put out. Everyone would be able to see it and then give glory to God. That, that's, that is the, the impact that we can have. If we, are, if we truly seek to, to live that kind of life, we can be lights that can't be put out. The only way that people won't be able to see the light, they won't be able to see the city, 
on the hill, the only way that people, our, our light can be hid is if we stop seeking to live a beatitude life. If we, if we start to live our Christian life for what we can get out of it, instead of being like Christ, if we just start to try to just do, instead of being who we're supposed to be, have you been trying to live the, the have you been trying to be a light without doing what it really takes? Are you trying to be a light without first being poor in spirit, being broken over your sin, being meek, having a hunger and thirst for the things of God, being merciful, having a pure heart, a single heart to the Lord, being a peacemaker, standing strong and having joy through persecution? You can't just roll up your sleeves and say, bless God, I'm, I'm going to be salt to this world. I'm, I'm going to be light. I'm, I'm going to go shed some light out there. I'm going, to, I'm going to shed some light to this dark world. That's, that's not how it works. You, you first got to be willing to say, you know what? I want to sit at Jesus' feet. I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to learn. I'm going to commit to be a disciple. I'm going to learn to be poor in spirit, to mourn over sin, to be meek. I'm going to learn the Beatitudes, and I'm going to apply them to my life. Then I'll be salt. Then I'll be light to a dark world. We can't be the light that we're supposed to be as a church if there are not individuals in this church who are going to commit to apply the Beatitudes to their life, who are going to commit to be committed disciples of Christ. Eastside Baptist Church can't do its job without single people buying out and selling out, selling out to God's plan for their lives. If you want to be a light in the darkness, if you want to be a light to a dark world, you must first live a beatitude life. You must first be a committed disciple. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.